What's up, everybody? I'm glad you decided to join me today for another episode as we continue this journey through the book of Revelation. Today, we look at the message of the three angels and the soul harvest that begins as we, as we continue through chapter 14. A line has been drawn and man can no longer remain on the fence or be neutral. Everyone must decide which side they are on. Either you accept the mark and follow the beast or you choose God and trust in him. After removing all the evangelists, God reminds us that he doesn't need man in order to get the gospel out to the world. He has never needed us to accomplish his purpose. If God wants the gospel to get to someone, he will get it to them regardless of man's involvement. God will accomplish his plan. He just lets us be a part of it so that we can be blessed by it. Let's dig into the rest of chapter 14 as we see God offer one final opportunity to choose him, then issue a warning to those who don't, and then begin the reaping of the harvest. Verse 6-7 through seven says, Then I saw another angel flying in midair, and he had the eternal gospel to proclaim, to proclaim to those who live on the earth, to every nation, tribe, language, and people. He said in a loud voice, Fear God and give him glory, because the hour of his judgment has come. Worship him who made the heavens, the earth, the sea, and the springs of water. Before God issues his final judgment, he will make sure the whole world hears the gospel and has the chance to choose him. He has been doing that for the first you know, three and a half years with the two witnesses and the 144,000. But to be thorough and ensure that everyone has a final chance to hear it and turn to him, God sends an angel to proclaim the gospel one last time, calling all to turn to him before it's too late. Some might say that this angel's message is brought by using a satellite to broadcast this message to everyone on earth, but angels have been sent to carry God's messages many times throughout scripture. So why would this be any different? Remember, the world's population has been drastically reduced by half, if not more, at this time, and much of the world is in ruins. So it is likely that the people that are left are at least at least the non-believers for sure, the ones who end up following the beast, are mostly gathered in and around uh, Jerusalem or what is was known as what was known as the Roman Empire or become or becomes known as Babylon, which is the empire of the dragon or the empire of that the Antichrist rules over. There is no reason to think that this is not an actual angel flying across the sky decla- declaring the gospel to the world. Could it be done through technology? Probably. But how much technology will be in use at the time is unclear with all the natural disasters leaving the world in ruins? Like I said before, if we, if we have no problem believing that God sent angels all throughout Scripture to deliver messages to someone or some people, then it shouldn't be hard to believe that he would do the same here. John says that this angel is flying over the earth, proclaiming the eternal gospel to everyone who lives on the earth. No one will be left unaware. It is referred to as the eternal gospel because it doesn't change and has remained the same throughout the ages. Salvation comes from the Lord. It belongs to him. The angel declares in a loud voice to fear God and give him glory. Proverbs 9.10 says, The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom, and knowledge of the Holy One is understanding. Essentially saying, be wise and give God the glory. Uh, give, give, you know, give God the glory, understanding that He is the creator of all that exists. 
You have life because he spoke it. Turn to him because the time of his final judgment has come. Who knows how long the angel will will proclaim this message. But one thing is clear. These events, in part, help to prove that humanity does not ultimately reject God because they are misled or uninformed. Mankind rejects God because they love their sin more than their Creator. But he gives way to the second angel who has another message. Verse 8, A second angel followed and said, Fallen, fallen is Babylon the great, which made all the nations drink the maddening wine of her adulteries. The Bible depicts depicts Babylon as the center of satanic activity from the days following Noah's flood until its fall at the end of the tribulation. Babylon was notorious for indulging in idolatry, blasphemy, and, and immorality. As Daniel describes with Nebuchadnezzar and Belshazzar, Jeremiah 50:38 describes it as a land of idols that go mad with terror. Further in Jeremiah, he said, you know, we read that Babylon was a golden cup in the Lord's hand, making all the earth drunken. The nations drank her wine, therefore the nations went mad. So the picture here is that the world has bought into the lies of the devil and have given way to their uh, to their sins, indulging in all the wicked practices that Babylon was known for. But this angel is prophesying that that the end and the fall of Satan's empire or Babylon, which we'll come to know it as, which will come with the return of Christ. Okay, so this angel is saying, "Hey, you guys can can do this. You can you can go mad and follow." Uh, you know, follow the dragon, the Antichrist, and and take the mark and do all the stuff. But in the end, the empire of Babylon or the empire of the Antichrist and the dragon will fall and Christ will destroy it. So first God gives a final altar call. Then he tells the world that this great empire they are so in love with will be destroyed. Now comes the third angel who gives the final warning to those who follow the beast and take the mark, along with a little hope and encouragement for the believers. The third angel warns everyone, if you worship the beast and his image or take its mark on your hand or forehead, you too will face the full wrath of God and be tormented with burning sulfur as the angels and Jesus observe this judgment. Their torment will be unending, and there will be no rest for those who follow the beast or take his mark. This is a detailed depiction of the judgment that is coming in the final days of the Great Tribulation and in eternity. They will spend an eternity with no rest in complete torment along with the devil and the fallen angels. Again, John says God calls for a for a patient endurance from the remaining believers and leaves them with a word from God. And he says, Blessed are those, blessed are the dead who die in the Lord from now on. Yes, says the Spirit, they will rest from their labor, for their deeds will follow them. God is saying it will be a blessing for the believers when they die for their faith, uh, when they die for their faith, because they will find rest and won't have to endure the remaining judgment of God or continue struggling to survive without the mark. Um, because remember, they can't buy or sell or do anything without the mark of the beast. So it'll end that suffering and they won't have to struggle anymore. Their suffering will be over and they will reign with Christ for a thousand years when he establishes his kingdom on earth. 
Now, we see the harvest that began with the 144,000 now is extended to all the believers that remain, as well as some more details that I'll share shortly. Verse 14 through 16 says, I looked and there before me was a white cloud and seated on the cloud was one like son of man with a crown of gold on his head and a sharp sickle in his hand. Then another angel came out of the temple and called in a loud voice to him who was sitting on the cloud, Take your sickle and reap, because the time to reap has come, for the harvest of the earth is ripe. So he who was seated on the cloud swung his sickle over the earth, and the earth was harvested. There is some, there are some who hold to the interpretation of this passage to mean that the being on the cloud is an angel, but Daniel seven thirteen through fourteen clears that up. Daniel says. In my vision at night I looked, and there before me was one like a son of man, coming with the clouds of heaven. So right here we see the same description, and how you know how do we know that Daniel is talking about Jesus here? Because you know, Daniel uses the same phrase. He says, like a son of man. And we know that it's Jesus because Daniel goes on with the following description and, and says, He approached the Ancient of Days and was led into His presence. He was given authority, glory, and sovereign power. All nations and peoples of every language worshipped Him. His dominion is everlasting, is an everlasting dominion that will not pass away, and His kingdom is one that will never be destroyed. So we know that Daniel is talking about Jesus, and Daniel refers to Him as one like a son of man. Now, Daniel uses the same phrase here that John uses in Revelation 14 to describe Jesus, you know, saying he's one like, like a son of man. And Daniel makes it clear that he is referring to Jesus. Furthermore, it is hard to imagine anyone else wearing a victor's crown, which is the type of crown described here, sitting on a cloud, you know, ready to harvest the righteous or elect. The time has come, you know, for Jesus to begin harvesting the righteous from the earth. The seeds were planted by his witnesses and team of evangelists, along with you know the judgments that have declared God's power as well. But the seeds have been planted by all of his, by his two witnesses and all the evangelists, and now the time has come for the Messiah to reap the harvest from the seeds he planted through his followers. This harvest will be swift. Jesus uh, swinging the sickle over the earth symbolizes that. He, the believers will now be harvested and gathered to himself, and this will come in the form of martyrdom as they stand against the enemy and hold fast to their faith. This is the other reason why I feel like this points to Jesus be being the one described sitting on the cloud. Who else would signal the harvest of the righteous more than Jesus? They belong to him. It is his crop to harvest, so to speak, not to mention angels are referred to uh, as the sons of God, not uh, sons of man. So people struggle with this, you know, being a depiction of Christ because of the angel that comes out of the temple of God and tells him that the time has come. Take your sickle and reap the harvest. You know, the angel comes out of the temple of God and the angel by the very name is a messenger. This angel comes out of the temple, meaning that he comes from God with a message for the one who sits on the cloud. The angel is not giving Jesus orders. He is simply relaying a message from the Father to the Son. God sends the angel to let Jesus know that the time has come. Remember, Jesus waits on the Father and does everything according to his will. God gives Jesus the signal to proceed because the harvest was ready and the last altar call has been given. Now, in the next verse, we see a difference in not only who the, the harvesting 
who the person is doing the harvesting, but in what happens to the harvest. This next harvest represents judgment. Verses 17 through 20, another angel came out of the temple in heaven, and he too had a sharp sickle. Still another angel who had charge of the fire came from the altar and called in a loud voice to him who had the sharp sickle. Take your sharp sickle and gather the clusters of grapes from the earth's vine because its grapes are ripe. The angel swung his sickle over the earth, or I'm sorry, swung his sickle on the earth, gathered its grapes and threw them into the great winepress of God's wrath. They are trampled in the winepress outside the city and blood flowed out of the press, rising as high as the horse's bridles for a distance of 1600 stadia, which is almost 200 miles. It says that another angel came out of the temple in heaven, and he too had a sharp sickle. Uh, this sickle just represents a tool used for cutting and harvesting the crops, and signifies that the person holding it will be the one doing the reaping. This time it is clearly an angel that wields the sickle. So once again, why clearly state that an angel is doing the reaping here, but with the previous text, the phrase like a son of man is used? If both are angels, it makes no sense to call one, to call this one um, an angel. And the others mentioned here are angels as well, but not call the one who sits on the, on the cloud an angel, if in fact that's what uh, that description is, is alluding to. Thus indicating the one who sits on the cloud is different, which makes sense because it's Jesus. And Jesus would be the one coming to initiate the harvest of the believers because they belong to him. Next, John says that still another angel who had charge over the fire came from the altar. This is most likely the same angel mentioned previously in Revelation, the one who filled the censer with fire uh, from the altar and hurled it to the earth. I mean, it may not be, but it sounds a lot like that it could be that angel. But nonetheless, this mention of this angel and the altar denotes judgment anyways. He, he told the angel with the sickle to gather the clusters of grapes from the earth's vine and throw them into the wine press of God's wrath. Some say that this is referring specifically to Israel and the Orthodox Jews that remain because the Old Testament refers to Israel as the vine or vineyard numerous times. And it may very well be referring to them, but it is more likely that John is referring to the enemies of God, the ones who rejected the gospel and followed the beast becoming drunk on the lies. More specifically... This vision is more accurately referring to the battle of Armageddon when all the armies of the Antichrist and the kings under him will gather for one final battle, will gather all their troops for one final battle focused on the complete destruction of Israel. These armies or kingdoms represent the clusters of grapes that the angel gathered and threw into the winepress of God's wrath. This is what will happen when all the enemies of God are gathered into one place and Jesus returns with the word and with the word he will slay all the enemies of God at one time and the blood of the enemies of God will flow from that place spanning almost 200 miles so as you can see this judgment at the end of chapter 14 depicts the gathering or build up uh to the final judgment that will take place at Armageddon when Jesus uh crushes all the enemies of God like the grapes in a wine press much of the second half, half of the tribulation will be okay for the unbelievers that follow the beast and take the mark. It is only towards the end of the second half that God pours out the bowls of wrath on the followers of the beast 
Until that point, the main focus will be on the Antichrist and his supporters hunting down and killing all those who oppose him. This will be a time of great martyrdom. A large part of the last three and a half years will be occupied with the Antichrist killing the, the believers. Okay, That is what the first harvest mentioned in verses 14 through 16. That's what it represents. That first harvest that Jesus uh, that, that we were talking about with Jesus, that first harvest, this is it. You know, all the people that are killed in that first part, the, the bulk of the last three and a half years, all the believers are being hunted down and killed by the enemy. And that's the, the harvest that um, we were referring to with Jesus. So in chapter 14, we have the end of evangelism as the 144,000 are martyred or harvested as the first fruits of the harvest. Then a final altar call is given along with the prophecy telling of the complete destruction of the empire of Satan. A warning is given to all those who follow the beast and take its mark. Then the harvest of the believers or elect begins and will be carried out in the form of martyrdom by the hands of the Antichrist leading. And that leads us into the last year where the bowls of wrath are poured out on the enemies of God, carrying us to the grand finale where the enemies or armies of God, I'm sorry, where the armies uh, of the Antichrist or the enemies of God referred to as the clusters of grapes are thrown into the wine press, which will be at Armageddon and crushed when Jesus destroys them upon his return at that final battle. Now, there is still much to discuss and cover regarding the details of the last part of the tribulation period that are very important as well. And we will get to the seven bowls of wrath leading us into the return of Christ in the millennial reign. And of course, uh, the the restoration of Eden and it, all, all the good stuff. It's coming, I promise. So hang in there, and tomorrow we pick up with the introduction of the seven angels and the seven plagues, which are the seven bowls of wrath. Thank you, God, for all that you do for us, for how you bless us and watch over us. Thank you for your continued mercy and grace. I pray that you would allow every listener to hear what you are trying to tell them. Whatever that word may be, I pray that they are sensitive to it. God, I pray that... Um, I pray that you would continue to guide us through the remainder of this book and continue to teach us and open our eyes to your truth. I pray, God, that every believer will cling to your word and study it and write it upon their hearts. Lord, let your words be on our lips. Let us praise you, you know, even when the mountain's in our way. Let us speak of you when we rise and when we lay down our heads at night and throughout the day, let our prayers go up to you. Help us to walk with you, Jesus, just a little closer every day until the day you take us home. I will sing of your praise, Lord, for as long as you give me breath, for you are worthy to be praised. Amen.